You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two, Sportsnet 960, Big Show, Russick and Rose. The bottom of the hour. Insider for the MLB and NHL Network, host of the Cinephile podcast, Adnan Burke. Gotta ask Adnan, how much is Major League Baseball praying that the New York Yankees win today? Just to have some eyes because Yankees and Astros would be a great American League Championship Series. I know you're going to watch none of it, but I'm just saying, like, it's going to be a great American League Championship Series. Like, okay, here, just real quick before we get to Julian. Yeah. Uh, Patty, what do you think Maddie's more excited to watch? The American League Championship Series mm-hmm. between New York and Cleveland versus Houston or the NBA tipping off tonight? I think he's really excited for Celtics Sixers. Yeah, that's are me. you? I think yeah. I think no, that's no. His... he's all about the Warriors and Lakers because this oh. is what Maddie's going to do. Maddie's going to wa- go to the Flames game for the first two periods. Yep. Then he's going <laughs> to slink his way home to watch the third. Correct. So after he's done watching that, he's going to PVR both basketball games and watch them in his entirety and get to bed at like two a.m. to get yeah. here for four. You know, there's okay. one thing I never miss, and it's NBA tip off. Raptors play tomorrow against Cleveland. That uh, the Cavs are Cleveland good. Do something. Cavs are good. They good this year. Yeah. Well, yeah. Donovan Mitchell I'm better. Yeah. Okay. Well. Like Maddie kept talking to me about how like it's time to break up the Utah Jazz. Yeah, like, it's you know what <laughs> I say that rebuilds Listen, now. <laughs> you're a team that just relied way too much on the three. They were too soft. Uh, you know, get rid of Gobert, Rudy Gobert. Yeah, you know, he's so tall. Like Stifle <laughs> Tower, his baby. Stifle Tower. He's get so tall. Here. Yeah, he's so tall. Beat it. He is. Yeah, he's, he's big. Yeah, guy's he's like, big man. Yeah, plays defense. Ma- maybe we'll do something on the Raptors. Not to have a guest. Oh God, for no, God no, for we man. can't do that. We already had an hour long show every day. Yeah, it's like, come on, stop doing the Raptors. <laughs> That's the we don't line. do that here. We don't do that here. All right, you know what we do? We do a lot of Calgary Flames talk. Uh, my pal, uh, he covers the Flames for the Athletic. He's a new Calgarian. We say good morning to Julian McKenzie. Julian, how are you? Morning, friends. Good to hear from you. Uh, good to hear from you, too, uh, Julian. Um, how much joy uh, do some hockey fans in Canada take in the Leafs losing 4-2 last night to the Coyotes? Um, I would imagine that they take <laughs> a lot of joy. I saw one of my friends get into, like, a Twitter back and forth with a, <laughs> a Leafs reporter, and, Ooh. like, his friend, like, immediately dunked on him at the end, and I was just like, man, like... Leafs taking the L on the ice and off the ice yesterday. Like when that happens, it's just it's a free for all for everybody. I watched Steve Dangle. You know what's crazy? Steve Dangle. I love Steve Dangle. Obviously, you know with the SDPN and stuff. I needed some help going to sleep, and I put the YouTube video on. Of you know he does his LFRs after games. Yeah, I put it on, and it helped me sleep after like five ten minutes. Like that's how that's what it is right now, man. People are just using the Leafs. And mm. and and they're they're taking the L's, man. They're that's what it is right now. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to hate. That's what it is. Um, that Arizona State University Coyote roster. Oh, how, like deep. how thin, like how razor thin, is that roster, uh, Julian? Because you we watched Don't that game last night. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, that was the most leafy thing ever. That uh, Richie actually comes back and scores against the Leafs because <laughs> he was horrendous for the Maple Leafs last season. But uh, honestly. How thin is that Coyotes roster? Like, my God, man. It's, it's like, they're not supposed to be in a position where they should be beating teams like the Leafs. I'm sorry. 
Like, like I'm sure someone out there must be mad because it's like, no, this roster is purposefully bad. So we could get Connor Bedard first overall, or at least improve our chances of being a top three team. Like it's, it's, it's thin, it's bad. Well, that's enough on the Leafs, I think, for now. I think we're all happy with where they are, losing to the Coyotes yesterday. And uh, tonight, it's the Calgary Flames taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. Looking very forward to this game. Yesterday, Elias Lindholm was talking to the media, and one of the things he was asked about was how things are going with that top line. And he kind of gave a so-so response, I would feel. Um, what did you make of his answer and, and just how that top line has, has played so far? Well, it's it's funny because I think of Elias Lindholm being asked about the top line coming together in training camp, and he mentioned how difficult it was uh, for for everything kind of going on with all three of those players with all the drills they were trying to do. And yeah, I think if there's one big flaw, I don't know if flaw is the right word, but yeah, I'm really intrigued at how that line has come together or how it hasn't necessarily come together as opposed to the second line of Kadri, Manjapane, and and Dubé. It's funny because Tyler Toffoli has a goal, but I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, Nazem Kadri gave him uh, gave him the pass on that play. Um, I, I I don't know if it's just, uh, just the chemistry isn't just right yet. It's just, uh, I, I know sometimes Huberto will try to make plays and, and Toffoli won't be able to catch up to some of them. Against the Oilers, funny enough, Whenever plays were going to Jonathan Huberto, Huberto wasn't able to corral the puck correctly. Hmm. I I don't know if it's just a situation where they just need a bit more time to gel or what, but it that's basically like the biggest. It's weird to say worry because the Flames are still two and zero, right? But I I think the fact that that line has not necessarily exploded as some people might have thought, um, it's definitely something to look out for. And definitely, if the Flames lose, we're going to make a bigger deal of it if they're held to goose eggs on the score sheet again well it just feels like we're getting greedy right because the flames are really deep up front (laughs) and on the blue line but how long do you think that leash is because maddie and i were talking about it how long is the leash on on the on this trio as the top line maddie's thinking that maybe it's this eight game homestand how long do you think it is yeah if they don't get to producing i would think by Let's say maybe maybe I know they have Pittsburgh next week. They have another battle of Alberta next weekend. If by next weekend they really have not been able to get anything together, that might be long overdue. Uh, I could see some kind of change up happening or, hey, maybe it's even sooner. I know Daryl Sutter has mentioned that uh, basically at one point in, in camp, at least in preseason, the only combination you really felt comfortable with was was Backlund and Coleman being put together on a line, hmm. and he was open to so many other ideas. And then, of course, we see how the second line has materialized, and even the fourth line uh, did pretty well at 5-on-5 five five in the last game against the Oilers. But, look, I, I think if the, we have a player like Jonathan Huberdeau on your team, a guy who Sutter has already called the best passer this organization has seen, you have to get him going. You have to get himself involved. He has to get himself involved in the play. Uh, if either five on five or on the power play, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe we do see that uh, Huberdo Lindholm, Manjapani connection that some people are kind of clamoring for in the weeds. But I-, I think you have to get a guy like Huberdo going. If at the end of the day, for for this offense to really thrive, you need everyone to get going, and, and a player like Jonathan Huberdo is the best left winger in the game. He needs some line mates to that'll help him get going. So if it means he has to do a change, so be it. I just think it'll probably be. I'd be stunned if it was kind of flailing around and the and and by next week against the Oilers, they were still a thing if they were still flailing around. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting query because if you have to change things up, then Tyler Toffoli moves down the lineup, and then it's okay. What is he contributing a little bit further down? You do bring up the idea or the 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 fact that it was Kadri that assisted on that last Toffoli goal. Is there something that could perhaps be there? Do you see Andrew Mangiapane as perhaps a, a good fit on that top unit? Maybe. I think with the speed that he has, he has some scoring ability. Um, I know. I mean, he got 35 goals last year. I think it's worth a try. And he's shown he can play on the left and the right. So you put him on the right side with Lindholm. You let uh, Huberto feed him the puck. I think it's worth a chance. Uh, I don't know if Dylan Dubé is also a viable option. That's a player who is looking as if he could be due for a breakout year. At least uh, myself and Haley Salvian are, are, are projecting that he might, at least with where he's positioned in the top six. That could also be an option. It's funny, too. We, we think about the fact that uh, maybe the Flames are interested in not interested, but maybe they're looking into adding another top nine forward. What if the forward they're looking to add is someone who could play top line? At first, we're thinking, oh, is Sonny Milano that guy? And you could probably slot him on a second line or a third line. But what if the Flames were to use some of the, you know, the the, the depth they have on defense to turn it into a decent top six, top nine forward who could probably play on that top line. I don't have any intel on that. I'm just wondering aloud if that's a viable option for the Flames if they feel they need to do that move. Mackenzie Weger, a couple games in, played with Chris Tanev for the most part. What have you made of uh, the new blue liner? I think Mackenzie Weger has been pretty good. I think he's uh, he's tried his best to integrate himself into the team. I think he got himself a pair of assists in that first game. Uh, fit himself pretty well in that battle of Alberta. I know with the way the Oilers play uh, and the power play that they have, and considering how down they were and how desperate they were to get themselves back in it, they were going to take advantage of the Flames at different points. But I, I think he's been solid. And again, just the way that defense core has looked. I know I've said it on different platforms, but that's a core, that's a top four that's as, almost as solid as you can get in the league. It's not Colorado by any stretch of the imagination. Maybe not the New York Rangers especially, but in terms of teams in the Western Conference, and in, in terms of the type of style you need to to play in order to get through in the playoffs, they have guys who can do it on the top four. I know, George, we've talked about the fact that they don't have a true number one defenseman or a guy who's going to gobble up all those minutes. But in terms of a, of a balanced core, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty solid up in Calgary. And I think a guy like Mackenzie Weaker is a big reason why it's as solid as it is. Julian McKenzie covers the Flames for The Athletic, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. It's the big show, Rustic and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Uh, Noah Hannafin um, looks like he's a little banged up. Is that from the Puyarvi play in the first period uh, in Edmonton on Saturday night? I, I thought it was a dirty play. Maddie and I talked about it, uh, where he kind of pitchforked his stick into his skates. Uh, what's going on with Hannafin? Uh, it was interesting not to see him at practice uh, yesterday. I think we'll probably know a little bit more when we uh, see at the boarding skate today, potentially. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was particular. I noticed he what did not play, uh, not not practice yesterday. I wasn't sure if it was because of what had happened with the Oilers game. Um, I know there were some other things I was kind of focusing on to for, to write about. But uh, yeah, it was particular that he wasn't really uh, available yesterday uh, at at uh, at practice. So now I guess things change. Maybe perhaps we'll see a little bit of Connor Mackey. I think that maybe some confidence perhaps would exist in the fact that that third pair with Michael Stone and Nikita Zadorov has been a pretty pleasant surprise. Have you liked what you've seen from that that pairing thus far? 
Yeah, and I think Zadorov uh, has had himself a pretty had himself a pretty decent camp, and y'all know how good Michael Stone has looked. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how they uh, put him around, uh, or what the pairings would look like if they incorporate a guy like Connor Mackey, who also had himself a pretty decent training camp as well. Uh, you know, just for for his, it just I mean, it kind of stinks that kind of stinks that he has to kind of start the first few games as a healthy scratch, considering he's done so much to put himself in a position to start with the team uh for for the beginning of the season but if if the no if Noah Hannafin needs a rest it's early in the year you don't necessarily need to run him down that much if he needs that time off give him that time off and let a guy like Connor Mackey into the lineup and maybe you you probably have to bump you might maybe you bump up Mackenzie Weger with Anderson that's a possibility perhaps maybe you put Connor Mackey with a Michael Stone and you let Zadorov play in that top four uh, I don't necessarily think it'd be a bad thing if you break up the Zadorov Stone pairing for one night. That being said, Zadorov and Stone together have looked good uh, in both different ways individually, but together as well, they've looked pretty solid as well. Just I think the way the defense has played. I know I baked up the top four, but I think the fact that on mm-hmm. defense uh, they've been handling themselves, even with Oliver Shillington still not available to them, uh, pretty admirable on their part as well. Dan Vladar impressed in his start against the Edmonton Oilers, but I thought one of the more telling things was a lot of his teammates' comments after the game about how hard of a worker he is and how he puts in the work. It really feels like the team has confidence in him this year, and as a result, I wonder if we do see more starts. Like Daryl Sutter said, 26 weeks throughout the season, if we get him one per week, that would be a good number for him come year's end. Yeah, and I think he deserves it. Uh, you guys have probably seen him in, in preseason. I think he was the best Flames player throughout all of preseason. He was solid. He kept teams in games. and was a reliable option when Jacob Markstrom couldn't go. Jacob Markstrom had been battling an illness all last week. And now, and you're right, Daryl Sutter did mention the fact that he wants to get him in a game a week. I think a guy like Dan Vladar, for him to get those starts and for him to prove himself, like if he's able to to hold down the fort, get some victories in those starts, that's that's easy money for the Calgary Flames. If when Jacob Markstrom gets his games in, and you know he needs that night off, you can show some confidence in a guy like Dan Vladar again, who has been really good since the preseason. And and the fact that I'll tell you what, we were all surprised when we saw him in the starters net against the Oilers, and then Sutter explained the whole one game a week thing. But I think he did really well against the Edmonton Oilers, even as. They were starting to get pucks in as they were starting to get pretty desperate to get themselves back in that game, holding down the fort. And then that scramble near the end of that Oilers game, and you see him just kind of relieved. And Nazem Kadri's the first guy to tap him on the head before some of the other guys come over and uh, and give him some dap as well. Dan Vladar has shown that uh, you know even if he is a backup, he is a reliable player for the Calgary Flames, and they need that if they want to go far in this uh, in this season. Julian, we know with uh, the the salary cap the way it is, uh, it's tough to to field a, a very competitive lineup, especially uh, four lines that are effective. But what kind of luxury do the Flames have that their fourth line is not only serviceable, it can have an impact on a lot of games. They opened the scoring against the Stanley Cup champs on opening night, uh, kind of set the tone early for Calgary. How, how much of a luxury is it where you can throw out your fourth line that can play some meaningful minutes that you know they're not a liability out there. When you look at uh, up north in this province, where I look at the Oilers' fourth line, and I'm like, that's probably a liability. <laughs> I mean, that just speaks to how deep the Calgary Flames are, right? That I mean, we talk about how deep they are in defense and at forward. Yeah, they, they could do it. Getting a guy like Kevin Rooney, 
who uh, at one point people were wondering if he was going to be the third line left winger. Uh, I think he's done great on that fourth line. And Milan Lucic, ever since I've seen him play uh, through preseason on to now, I think he's actually looked pretty decent. You know, uh, I'm not sure what his future will be after this year, but that's a guy who has, you know, just filled in his role admirably. He's done well. He's I saw him try to at least lead some some charges up ice and 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 break up some plays in the neutral zone against the Oilers. Like he he's good, especially for a guy who's been in the league as long as he has. He he knows what his role is. He knows what he's capable of doing, and he's doing it pretty well. Uh, so yeah, I think for the Flames fourth line, when you have, I mean, look, we we started this conversation talking about how the first line is trying to get itself together. That being said, the second line is solid. The third line is solid. The fourth line is solid. They just need the first line to be optimized. And that's all after they were able to get wins over two contending teams, right? Like this, those are two teams that the Flames need to be better than in order for them to be really taken seriously as a cup contender. Not that they aren't. But let's be real. They need to be Colorado and they need to be Edmonton to get there. And the fact that their fourth line can be relied upon for both of those games, even if it is early in the year, I think if you're Daryl Sutter, you have to be pleased about that. So our question for our listeners today is, it's only been two games. It's, it's early on. What have you liked about the team so far? And what have you maybe disliked about the team so far? Is there anything off the top of your head that maybe rings true for either side of the statement? The Kadri line, uh, definitely for the likes, because I thought from preseason they looked really good together. I thought the fact that uh, all three players were able to gel together, they're all similar types of players. Uh, I've, I've felt that's from preseason. And it's only really been two weeks since that line has really been a thing. Uh, that, I think, definitely is at the top of, of the likes for me. In terms of dislikes... That's a really good question. I, I still think they need to, I guess, you know, clean up a few things defensively. I'm still thinking of that power play goal they allowed where Connor McDavid, yes, he's going to score on the power play, but you're going to make it a lot you're gonna make it a lot easier for yourself if you at least see him coming. Like if you look at that goal, he's going back door, and I think it's Rasmus Anderson who's the nearest defensive. He's not looking at Connor McDavid. He nobody picked him up on the on that particular instance, and you cannot leave him alone. It's just little things like that that uh, I'm no. I know the Flames will be able to clean up. Um, I, I still think that there's still a bit of time for that Huberdo to Foley Lindholm connection. Like I mentioned earlier, maybe until next weekend not this weekend coming with the other one after you know if it's still really not working and the flames are really in a jam you're gonna have to blow that up and maybe that's way too much time but if the flames are able to win games like it doesn't seem like that pressing of a concern especially if all those players are still able to produce at uh with the man advantage um i i don't know if i'm gonna call that my biggest dislike i'll just say they'll just need to clean up a few more things defensively but Things could change in a matter of a few games. Uh, Julian, before I let you go, uh, the Panthers had to play with five defensemen last night, salary cap issues. We saw the Oilers uh, were short up front because of salary cap issues. It's getting ridiculous, right? I, I get the salary cap is there for a reason and control revenue, but there has to be some sort of answer. There has to be something uh, the general managers, the board of governors can get together, figure something out here, because how is this good for the game where the Panthers are like, we're so cap-strapped, uh, we have to have five blue liners tonight. How is that good for the NHL? 
it's not necessarily good in my eyes, but then some people will look at it and say, oh, but it, everyone has, it's the same thing for everybody. And hey, maybe in a, with all the salary cap estimates going up over the next few years, maybe everyone will be able to get out of that problem. So I know for me, I, I look, I, I, I'm big on, I would rather a luxury tax or I would rather no salary cap or at least something that will give general managers more money to play with. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I feel as if, like, with all the GMs that are in place, I get the sense that a lot of them are just, like, I mean, I'm sure they can't like this particular situation, but this just might have to be a situation where they're just going to have to wait for next year when the salary cap eventually, when the salary cap eventually goes up a couple more mil and in the years to come, the same deal. And maybe we'll have fewer of those, you know, uh, yeah. 12 5 games or, or, or where, you know, there's five defensemen replayed, something like that. I, I, I think at this point, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if uh, I don't know if GMs are in the board of governors are that creative to get something done. They're just gonna yes. have to live with it. I think that's how I see it. I could be proven wrong though. Okay. Well, I, I lied about my last question. Can you explain to me why the hell the Flames are playing eight straight home games and then they got to go on the road for weeks? Like I, I asked Maddie this: Dude. Is there a circus coming here? Is there a convention? Like the, the NHL schedule makes zero sense to me sometimes. I don't know, man. I remember talking with a GM privately about the fact that there are only three um, three editions of the Battle of Alberta in the regular season, and he couldn't believe it either. Like He was like, "Like, what is this? Like, Yeah, this, this, I get there's like a formula or some kind of matrix that, that gets done for the <laughs> schedule and stuff, but I'm just like, I don't get it either. No. I, I'm not complaining about the fact that they have all those home games. I'm going to have to figure something out for, for the road because I'm only going to be able to go to so many road games this year, but... Uh, yeah, you know what? Like it's it is kind of weird that the Flames have as many games at home as they do, but uh gives all the fans here all the reason to show up to games, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um especially and if they get off to a great start, man, they're ahead of the game uh, with all those home games right away. Julian McKenzie covers the Flames for the Athletic. Julian, great stuff. We'll talk soon, pal. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Uh, there he goes. Flames Golden Knights tonight. Don't forget Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg, Peter Labardius at 6 o'clock. Puck drops 7 o'clock right here. Sportsnet 960, the fan. The 2-0 Flames against the 3-0 Golden Knights. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Jack Eichel, who potentially could be the comeback player of the year because he was really, really good down the stretch for Vegas when they gagged in the playoffs. And maybe uh, Jack Eichel uh, can actually get to the playoffs for the first time in his NHL career. Maybe he can actually play meaningful games in March for the first time in his NHL career, like he did last year, because Vegas was fighting for a playoff spot. But when it comes to playoff failures and uh, missing the playoffs, you want one guy who knows that. Jack Eichel's your man. Sure is. Um, and he's skating beside a guy who also has not seen the playoffs in quite some time, and Phil Kessel. That's kind of his line mate to start the season. This is an interesting roster when they go Eichel, Stevenson, Carlson down the middle. It's a lot of depth. I like the blue line quite a bit. Don't know which goalie we're going to see today, but that's always going to be a question that Vegas has for the rest of the season. So far, so good. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be something that everybody has their eye on for the rest of the year. They're just interesting to me how they kind of have almost tandems in their forward group. Carlson and Marcia so are a group. They're playing with Paul Cotter, kind of a plug-and-play type of guy. Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone are a pair. They're playing with Brett Howden, who's kind of another plug-and-play guy, but Eventually, sometimes those guys hit. Like, that's what Michael Bunting was before he 
was plugged and played on a line with Marner and Matthews. Then he had success. So they're an interesting group for sure. Well, Zach Hyman parlayed that into a ton of money. It's a great, another great example. Oh, with the Oilers. You just, there's, there's some guys where you don't have to be the most skilled, but if you're more determined and you work your bag off, there are ways that, you know, you can get latched to a couple good players, put up some good numbers and make some good coin. Flames and Golden Knights tonight. We'll have it for you live right here. Sportsnet 960, the fans, 7 o'clock game time. Uh, straight ahead, Adnan Verg, insider for the MLB NHL Network, host of the Cinephile Podcast. Got to ask Adnan, uh, how much, oh my God, uh, Rob Manfred and the executives at Major League Baseball going, please, for the love of Christmas, win tonight, New York Yankees, because, man, an ALCS between Cleveland and Houston and uh, Philadelphia and San Diego on the other side, woof. And also got a hot, San Diego Padres take coming up. You got a hot smoking hot Padres take. Like if there's one thing that this city needs, yep. it's a hot San Diego Padres oh, take. Oh yeah. I'll share it with Adnan next. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. You're listening to the big show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames. Sportsnet 960 the fan. It's the big show. Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. The top of the next hour, um, your texts. Maybe we'll mix in a phone call or two. We Hooray. know. It's only two games in. I get it. Mm-hmm. But what have you liked so far about the Flame season? Yeah. And what have you disliked about the Flame season so far? Uh, and Ann Verkwell to join us. But uh, Maddie and I were talking off air. Uh, I bought boots for the first time. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to wear boots for the first time since elementary school. And then Maddie busted out the, where you got to wear slippers here. I'm like, what? So wear my boots into the studio, and then you want me to wear slippers? I don't want you. Well, I want you to for your own sake. But yeah, throw on some nice cozy slippers. That's what I do, because I'm not going to wear my wet, soaky. Yeah, no, I know. But like what? Like they they have a bear on them? Like Mine don't. They're actually a very nice sleek black. Yeah. Um, So slippers. Yeah, they're kind of, they're very soft. They're slippers. I, they're slides. They're slide style. They're not like the moccasin style. Okay, I'll bring them in this week. You'll see. Okay, winners. Um, great Ad- deal. Adnan Verk, insider deal. for the MLB and NHL Network, host of the Cinephile Podcast, joins us. Uh, Adnan, are you a slipper guy at all, or no? Uh, I love that we're starting with this, George and Maddie. Great <laughs> yeah. to be back in the morning show with both of you. Congrats, yeah. George, in the morning gig. Thrilled you. for you. Uh, not a big slipper guy, no. Yeah. Although it's mm. funny, I, I'm often a creature of my surroundings. So I find if I'm in a hotel mm. and they have a, like a bathroom and slippers, I'll immediately so I gotta be, I've got to slip into this. And I, yeah. you know, I feel like I'm John Barrymore here wandering around with like a cigarette holder and <laughs> yeah. you know, thinking I'm all of a sudden in Vegas in the 40s. But it's it's not something that comes natural to me. But right. if given the opportunity, sir, here's a robe and slippers. Yeah. I'll jump on it. Okay, so that's fascinating to me, Adam, because I've seen the bathrobe in a hotel and I stare at it because I'm a bit of a germaphobe. I'm the guy who goes in into the hotel room with Lysol wipes and wipes down everything I'm going to touch because I'm a psycho. And then I stare at the bathrobe and I'm like, wow, it's going to take a lot for me to put this on. I'm probably not going to do it. But you're like, no, I'm going to jump in feet first, slippers and bathrobe. I'm all in. And by the way, Adnan, you're staying in a hotel. Like some of the hotels I've stayed at, there's no chance there's a bathrobe in the closet waiting for you. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's also a very good point, George. If it's like the Holiday Inn Express, probably not right. in the bathroom. Street, but, <laughs> but if it's the Bellagio in Vegas, it's a bit of a different story. But not you may have you may have changed my thinking on this. Now I'm going to picture every single Tom, Dick, and Harry who's put on this bathroom yeah. before me. Yeah, like again, never have a blue light in a hotel room, and if you're especially at a hotel that rents by the hour. Um, and then oh. how much how much is Major League Baseball? As a collective at the at the head offices today, Rob Manfred praying to God the New York Yankees win so people will actually watch the <laughs> NL and ALCS. Yeah, they never admitted, George, but you're right. You want to have the big boys in the dance. And it's always a fascinating conundrum between what's best for the sport, what's most aesthetically pleasing, what's the best story. So I always go with the best stories, and particularly since I'm a big-hearted kind of guy, I always root for those underdogs. And I said, man, I would love to see Guardians-Padres. Guardians haven't won a World Series since 1948. The Padres have never won a World Series. They've been around since 69. But as you astutely point out, if that were to happen, not only Major League Baseball, I'm sure Fox executives will be running towards the <laughs> corridor saying, no, God, no, we need some major team in here. And every year, they obviously, nobody would publicly admit this, but they want to see Yankees-Dodgers. Why would you want to have the two biggest media markets? So I, as a fan... I've been thrilled to see it, but I always say this when it comes to March Madness. I like one or two upsets, but I don't want the whole upset. Like, I, I, I want to see mm. Duke in the Final Four so I can root against them. I still want to see North Carolina or Michigan or UCLA or some big school. So, I like a couple upsets. Trust me, I love seeing San Diego beating L.A. I'm like, wow, that, that's a great story. They went 5-14 and 14 against Los Angeles. They've been pushed around the last few years, the SoCal rivalry, for San Diego to finally win a series against them and to be back in the NLCS first time since 98, that is a great story. Padres, uh, Phillies, Braves, again, I don't know, but as great a story, but still pretty good. Defending World Series champions loses against a team who they beat up on, again, in their own division. And I love Bryce Harper. I think he's great for the sport. If Philly is in the World Series, you know, that's still compelling because of Wheeler, Noah, and especially Bryce Harper. But back to your point. Okay, the Astros being in there, fine. I don't know if they're a rating shrub. People know who they are. Like everyone at this point, if you're a baseball fan or sports fan, know Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman, certainly Justin Verlander. So you have that notoriety. But you want to get Yankees-Astros. You, you want a rivalry which has been building the last few years, and you want redemption for the Yankees from 2017. Or if you're a Yankee hater, you want to see the Astros and the Evil Empire win again. Guardians just certainly isn't as sexy a draw. But again, I think if you're a baseball fan, it's a cool story. And they play a fun brand of baseball. Like that comeback they had on Saturday against that Yankees bullpen, just hit after hit after hit, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. They're not going to get that big home run. Unless it's, of course, our fellow Canadian, Josh Naylor, the pot of Mississauga, running around the base as if he's rocking a baby. I, I tried to guess the home run <laughs> celebration. I said, I think he's saying, I think he's saying, let's put this baby to bed. And then, of course, Tristan McKenzie had had the tweet, and he said, no, no, what he's saying is, whenever I hit a home run off a guy, he's my son, which is a new play on who's your it daddy. I, 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 I don't, and I tried to say who I'm rooting for, but I love Aaron Boone and the Yankees, because Boone's my guy. But I would love to see Naylor hit another home run just for that celebration again. It is pretty good. Um, so that's a story if things go maybe awry for the MLB offices. What about the Yankees, though? What if they do lose this game today. What comes next for the New York Yankees? It's a great question. Brian Cashman's contract's up. He's been there forever, over two decades. You know, all the success they've had going back to 98, Cashman has been the guy in charge. But if you're a Yankee fan, what have you done for me lately? Haven't won a World Series since 2009. How do you balance the fact they are always in the playoffs? They're always above 500. But have not been able to overcome the challenge of just trying to win a couple rounds and get back into the dance. Aaron Boone's got two years left in his contract, my buddy. I think Booney is safe because, again, 
if they lose, I don't think anyone goes, well, the manager's at fault. They'd say um, the bullpen certainly got hampered by injuries and became a real weak spot. Forget about Roldis Chapman just falling off the map. But King and Green getting hurt really hurt the team, along with Zach Britton not being able to come back. So now they've got three guys they really trust. Loisica, Peralta, and maybe Clay Holmes. Maybe he's like a half a point. Now, they've still got their starters, and I think Cortez will pitch well tonight. But, again, he's not a guy who goes deep into games. So he goes three or four innings, then Tyone, a Canadian, goes a couple innings, and you go to those relievers. Whereas for Cleveland, they've got an outstanding bullpen. So Tito probably feels pretty good about his pitching staff. But your overarching point, the big thing is this. Does Cashman come back? Because he's been there forever. Now, Hal Steinberg does love him. So I think Cashman comes back. If Cashman comes back, that means Booney comes back. Cash, a big fan of Booney. He's got two years left in his deal. The big question really is Aaron Judge. Does he come back? And I think there's no conceivable way, fellas, they can let Aaron Judge walk. Now, the numbers are going to be fascinating. As we all know, he turned down the $213 million contract, you know, $30.9 million a year. I think the number, because he's going to want to prove that I'm going to get the highest average annual value. So he's going to want like $36.5 million. If you look at the exact numbers, he wants to say that I'm getting more than Trout, who's the game's best player. But he also wants to be able to say on his own team, I'm getting the most money. Garrett Cole gets $324 million. So by that logic, I think it's eight years, 325. Which, again, that's $110 million more than the Yankees were offering, which is a hell of a way to bet on yourself. But I think that is a deal that would get it done. Because the Yankees could say, we locked up the best player in the sport this year after a historic season. And he's ours until he's 38, which is not going to be great value, as we all know, 36, 37, 38. But for Judge, he can say, I'm getting the highest average annual value. I'm the highest paid player on the team. I'm going to get taken care of. But if the Yankees lose tonight... The Aaron's Judge drama will continue. And it is not a fait accompli that he will resign. Because if the Yankees do try to play hardball, he's from San Francisco. The Giants would love to have a superstar. They do not have a face to franchise since Buster Posey retired. You know the Dodgers would be in, and you know the Mets would love to pay and try to get Aaron Judge. That would be so awesome if the Mets get him. Oh, my, please, God. Please go, just go, just go to Queens and play for the Mets. I think that would be so awesome, Adnan. It would be hysterical. I mean, just, just the irony of it, right? Like, you know, the Yankees are always the big boys, the Mets are always the little brothers. But no, their payroll was $299 million. And Steve Cohen's <laughs> not going to stop. Do you think he cares? Yeah, he's like, oh, I'll, run. I'll go 350 I don't give a damn. Like, I, I have billions. Like, what, what good is it? You can't take it with you. So um, I don't think that's Judge's mindset. Like, I think he wants the Yankees first. But again, if they try to lowball him, he has no issues. Then, fine, I'll go sit elsewhere. Dodgers makes a lot of sense just because of their deep pockets. But I'm telling you, watch out for San Francisco just because he's from that area. And they got deeper pockets than you think. Like San Fran, they can play with the big boys. They can give him $350 million, and he can really be the face of that franchise. But I, I, I think if I had to handicap it, I'd go Yankees, Dodgers, Giants, and then Mets. Adam, one of my favorite highlights from the last series was uh, Reese, Hawkins, Reese Hoskins with the absolute bat spike following his big home run. We know the bat flip up here with Jose Bautista, but where did the spike land for you in some of the, the best home run celebrations in the playoffs we've seen lately? Uh, it's one of the best things about the sport these days, Matty. Like, we are long gone past the days of just hit the home run and put your head down. Like, I love the fact <laughs> these guys show emotion. And for Hoskins specifically, I mean, Philadelphia is a tough sports town. And uh, you guys know I know that as a Flyers and Eagles fan and being – an hour, 45-minute drive from Philly these days. They, they really do eat their young when things aren't going well. So Hoskins has been the recipient of quite a bit of booze and hostility when things haven't worked out well. But when things are going well, of course, Philadelphia will support like no other. So I think that's one of those moments where he's, he's just so bottled up with frustration and anger and, of course, excitement and, and jubilation and just spike like that. Like that's, 
Again, it's not a term you'd use in baseball. It's football. Of course, you're spiking the football. But to spike it in baseball was pretty cool. Again, nothing will top Naylor's celebration for me, but that spike was great. And, mm-hmm. and how about Philadelphia? Like, this is a great story. Again, down the stretch, they are stumbling badly. It looks like they may not make the playoffs. The Brewers are going to catch them for that final walk for spot. They're clearly well behind the Mets and the Braves in their own division. They somehow right the ship and get in, but it's almost like they're back in the way of the playoffs. Number six, who's going to take them seriously against the Braves, who had 700 percentage baseball since May 1st? And yet, bam, you got a pair of aces and Wheeler and Noah, that'll help. You got guys and an offense that can bash, that'll help. And Hoskins was at the forefront of it. And uh, you can really feel that surge of momentum. The way Philadelphia played at home, Citizens Bank Park, you know, they end for them, which is a long playoff job. Again, that's a great sports town. They've got a really passionate fan base. They've got an owner in John Middleton who will spend money, no problem at all. So to be back in the playoffs, first time in over a decade, they're just trying to make it worth their while. Uh, Adnan, I know our listeners here in Calgary uh, tune in to hear hot San Diego Padres takes. Uh, I got one for you here. Um, I, I think the Friars should trade Fernando Tatis. Um, he, he's he's a headache. Uh, the guy uh, allegedly not taking steroids, but he's taking he took steroids. Um, he's right. making north of three hundred million dollars. Uh, he has injury issues. I understand all of that. Maybe trade him, allocate those funds to try to convince Juan Soto to stay long term. But maybe trade Juan Soto to a team that wants cost certainty and roll the dice on a guy who could be a superstar or could be a complete and total bust. What say you, Adnan Verk? George, I think if they could trade him now, they would. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's damaged goods, and it's amazing how quickly things can change in the sport and in life. You know, I'm a huge Tatis fan because of what he does on the field. He plays with such panache and excitement and bravado, and clearly everybody in Major League Baseball loved him too. He was anointed as the next one, but the face of the game, he's on the cover of MLB The Show and all the rest of it. And as you mentioned, he endures the season of hell. He has not one but two motorcycle accidents, which shows incredible recklessness and immaturity. Then the failed PED test, which, as you point out, unless you are really gullible, you believe he has ringworm if you have any sense of uh, the way these <laughs> Chris Colabello believed him. And then Chris Colabello yeah, was on board. <laughs> you know, so there's the one. Yeah. Um, and, and more than likely, to your overarching point, it's just like when you get caught for speeding. Probably not the first time you're speeding. Probably not the first time Tatis is using PEDs. More than likely, he's been doing it for a while. If they could trade him, they would, George. No doubt about it. But I don't think they can. I think, you know, this wow. is the classic, you know, buy low, sell high. Who the hell is going to take on that contract, $300 million? Suppose he's been using all along and now can't use PEDs and isn't the same player. Well, that's an enormous problem. Suppose he is using and gets caught again. That's another enormous problem. Uh, and the, the bigger problem, as you said, he can't stay healthy. I mean, no matter what, Tatis is always hurt, whether it's his shoulders, his knees, whatever. He's going to be moved to the outfield. So, again, I love him as a player. He's so fascinating to watch. He's undeniably charismatic. But that is a massive contract to move. And I think if they could have moved it, they would have. There's no doubt. Preller was calling the Nationals going, hey, I'll take Soto. You can have Tatis. And they laughed because, are you kidding? We don't want Tatis. Come on. Nobody wants that guy right now. So they would move him if they could. But they'd have to eat a lot of money. Adnan Verk, Insider, MLB, NHL Network, host of the Cinephile Podcast, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Sportsnet 960, the fan, the big show, Russick and Rose. All right, um, movie talk real quick here, uh, Adnan, because uh, I, I, a lot of these movies are coming out on these streaming sites on, on Amazon Prime and Netflix, and some of them, quite frankly, are a dog's breakfast. Uh, I don't want to talk about good movies with you because you're such a movie aficionado, 
I want to talk about literally the worst movie I watched with my brother a couple months ago, Adnan, and I want to get your thoughts on whether you've seen it and whether or not you could sit through it. I watched Moonfall. Um, it's a new movie, Amazon Prime. It cost hundreds of millions of dollars to produce. It's the biggest piece of crap film I've ever seen in my life. It was so bad, Adnan, that it got to a point where I have to finish watching this because this is so terrible so I can say I've start to finish watch the worst movie of my entire lifetime. A, have you seen that film? And B, man, some of these streaming movies are terrible. Completely agree on the second part, which is why, given my druthers, to use an old school saying, I still like to get out to the movie theater because if it's in the theater, it's got a better than average chance of being good. To your point, these streaming services do not look at quality. They want quantity. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen some of the films on Netflix. Go, these are terrible, but they just figure people are so lazy these days. I'll just click on this. Maybe it's worth a shot, whatever. And it's really not worth your time. And that goes to the other streaming services as well, not just Netflix. Haven't seen it. I make a, a conscious effort to avoid anything that's bad with four kids and a full-time job. If I'm watching the movie, it better be a good movie. So <laughs> I, I, I check Rotten Tomatoes. I check the reviews. There's critics that I like, you know, personal word of mouth, et cetera. If I hear it's not good, I can't sit through it. Unless, of course, it's a, such a big-budget film that I feel like I have to watch it. For example, mm-hmm. Amsterdam, which just was a colossal flop, $80 million budget, grossed $5.3 million. I had to see it because it's got literally every movie star you could name. Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, my guy Robert De Niro, John David Washington. The list was endless, but the movie was terrible from David O. Russell. So I I will endure what I know already going in is probably not going to be a good movie. But in this case, Moonfall was not on my radar. Oh, my God. It's not as good as Moonlight or Moon Knight. Add in, like, just real quick. The moon moves. And, like, it would kill us all if the moon moved. No, that's fine. Like, the moon is right near the Earth. And then Halle Berry's in it, and they made Halle Berry not the attractive, sexy character in the film. She was the exact opposite. Yeah. This mm. is what a disaster this movie is. I dare anybody who's listening to sit through Moonfall because it's nearly impossible to sit through that. You are right, though, George. There's something fascinating about a horrible movie. Like sometimes oh, people yeah. will tell me, it's just like, they're be like, people, can I sit through this? You almost want to test your stamina. I remember the Toronto International Film Fest, probably the worst one I've ever seen. It's called Trash Humpers, and it's from a director, Harmony <laughs> Kareem. That's a great name for a movie, by the way. <laughs> it, 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 it's Trash Humpers. Okay. Is yeah. that a... He wrote Kids. He wrote and directed Gummo. You know, Matty knows. He's one of these directors. If you like him, you like him. If not, he's not your cup of tea. And Trash Humpers, I don't even know how I sat through it. <laughs> I got a free ticket is all I can tell you. But if you go watch the trailer in your downtime, you'll see what's one of the worst movies ever. And then there's, there's movies that are just like bad comedies. Like, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oof. But that's Sylvester Stallone <laughs> trying to be funny with that stuff. You know, like it's, it's just atrocious. Um, but you're right. There's, there's a, I mean, Roger Ebert once wrote a book saying, I hated this movie. Like, this, there's a real appetite for crappy movies. Oh, yeah. Because people want to invent it, let you know how bad they were, just as you are. Do you remember the first bad movie that you saw? Because I remember as a kid, I would see films and. Everyone would be like, oh, that movie was garbage. And for a long time, I was like, I don't, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a bad movie. And then I saw The Masters of Disguise, and I was like, I get it. Okay, this is a bad film. <laughs> when Dana Carvey goes, turtle, turtle. Yeah, That's pretty much welcome, the best part of the whole, yeah. the whole movie. Okay. Turtle, too turtley for the turtle club or something like that. Yeah, that. It was terrible, and I can remember it vividly. So do you remember the, the first bad movie that you saw? Well, it's funny when you're a kid, as you've noted, like you, you're just you don't have any sort of discerning eye. Like you just think everything's amazing. Like Michael J. Fox was my favorite actor, 
So it's not only Back to the Future. Which Teen Wolf, Michael great. J. Fox. Right. Sorry, go ahead. Right, Teen Wolf. I was like, this movie is awesome. Like the, the secret yeah. of my success. I'm like this should be winning Academy Awards. Like, why is he not? <laughs> <laughs> so, I would say anybody of that era. When I recently tried to sit down, and I was so excited to watch it, the great outdoors I saw on TV. Let's just say I did not live up to the hype as a nine-year-old when I saw John Candy and Dan Aykroyd, and shockingly, and that bending in the cat. The great outdoors does not live up to the nostalgia of my youth. Uh, uh, is just before we let you go here, Adnan, um, is Rocky Four the best bad movie of oh. all time? <laughs> That's another great category. The best bad movies. Uh, yeah. Showgirls is definitely in that list. It's just so ridiculous. The dialogue and titillating. But uh, you're right, uh, Rocky uh, oh, re- sorry, Adnan. I have you ever watched the edited version of Showgirls on like network television? <laughs> and all like all like the, like it's just pasties all over the place, and it's super weird. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? It's really weird and it's very distracting. And then all I kept thinking I about because I was a Saved by the Bell guy growing up, like that's my really? jam. Like Kelly Kapowski, number one on my all-time list, slam dunk. Right. Seeing Jesse Spano shake it topless was very jarring oh. and awesome at the same time. But <laughs> watching the pasties edited version is it even makes oh. Showgirls even worse than it actually is. I mean, the, the, the amount of dialogue in that movie that are, like, howlingly funny. You know, I'm a dancer, not a stripper. Uh, the, the scenes are very comical. I'm from the pool. I, I can't imagine the edited version. I need to add that to the list now. But, yeah, Rocky Four is, I'm with you. It, it is just a great, bad movie. It's so cheesy. It's so tongue-in-cheek. It's just oh, yeah. the soundtrack alone. Like, no oh, going yeah. back when he's driving the car. I mean, the, the music montage, I mean, probably my favorite part, the music montage of Rocky using the elements and the Russian Drago using steroids and, oh, like, yeah. indoor technology. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's the best. The Rocky Four soundtracks on my workout uh, playlist. Oh, boy. Like, man, if you if you hear, like, Hearts on Fire, I could lift a Buick oh, Skylark over my head, Adnan, if I hear Hearts on Fire. And as a kid, George, I wanted to get a robot just because I saw it in rock. Yeah. I'm going to get one of those things. The $1,000, yeah. I'm going to get a robot, Dad. I'm yeah. going to get one of those things. And like, the thing, like the robot spoke, and the, that technology didn't exist in the mid-1980s when that movie came out. Like it was a, it was Teddy Ruxpin. You put in a tape, and he just said the same yeah. thing over and over again, and all of a sudden Rocky's got Rocky's got a robot in his thing. And, oh, man, and that Hugo Boss sweatshirt he wears when Apollo Creed dies oh. in that movie, I wish I could own that oh, Hugo yeah. Boss sweatshirt because it's beautiful. Uh, and then Ver- even, even the, by the way, the Apollo Creed death, the way it's intercut, that jarring image, just a quick zoom and it's alone. It's, it's bad movie making, but great movie making. Uh, yeah, and that speech where somehow he wins over the entire <laughs> Russian crowd and then, yeah. like, gives this uniting, like, change. beautiful speech <laughs> after taking about 700 power shots to the brain during the fight that could no two human beings could actually endure. Like, I, he, he somehow takes incredible right. blows to his brain and its cranium and then somehow right. musters a speech that unites an entire country. Like, it's just unbelievable. Right. The best bad movie of all time. And who hasn't ran in the snow in Siberia wearing a leather coat with fur? Who hasn't done that? over his back. Like, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be covered in sweat if I ran with a full leather coat like that in the winter. <laughs> Adnan Verk, Insider, MLB, NHL Network, host of the Cinephile Podcast. Adnan, great stuff, pal. Thanks for this. We'll do it again soon. Congrats, George. Good to have you with us in Calgary. Maddie, a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Yes, right, sounds good. Yeah, a best bad movie of all time. My cheeks Rocky are Ford. sore. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of them. We're getting some texts in for some other bad movie recommendations.
I never really watched a lot of the Rockies. They weren't really for me. Mm. Oh, if you actually watch uh, Creed, the new, it's good. It's good. Like, is yeah. it good? No, yeah. Really? Like, Creed, the first one, good movie. All right. Like, I, I went in with super low expectations. Fair enough. And I'm like, wow, that was a good movie. All right. We'll put it on the list then. Yeah, but Rocky Four is... And he's right when Ivan Drago is just destroying up <laughs> during those like montages. Mont- <laughs> yeah, of course. Montages are the best. Tell I you, do that's love- on my workout playlist, the Rocky Four soundtrack. The entire the thing? Yeah, like it's... Oh, yeah, like this is just getting me jacked up right away. If you play Hearts on Fire, I swear to God, like I can... <laughs> I will sprint to my place and sprint back before uh, we we do the eight o'clock segment because once you hear that, that's it. Hearts come back with hearts on fire, uh, Alex. When we come back from the break, although that's not good for the podcast, but who cares? It's too much of a banger not to play. All right, straight ahead. Texts your texts to listeners nine sixty nine sixty. Get in here. We know it's early. We know it's super early. We get it. Uh, what have you liked so far in the flame season? Eh, what have you disliked so far? Through two games, Gary Lawless, a Vegas Golden Knights insider, radio color analyst, at 32. You want? We can mix in a phone call too. I think if you want to want to yeah. join the show, you want to give a take. What have you liked so far? The Flame season. What do, have you disliked? Do we have anything good to give away today? No, we don't. We have uh, nothing. Uh, maybe we'll give you a hockey card. I got a highlighter, a pink one. Four zero three two four zero forty four forty four. One more hour to go. Big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet nine sixty. The fan.